counsel. The righteous are there to be a peacemaker, builders versus destroyers. But we see that violence covers the mouth of the wicked. And this has been covered a few times. Um, we know that it says hatred stirs up strife, the next verse. This is a cause and effect relationship. Perfect example, tragic example of a week and a half ago. A man, an older man, filled with hate his whole life, just hating people that aren't like him, goes into the Holocaust Museum and starts shooting up the place. Hatred stirs up strife. Someone has that much hate inside of them, it's, at some point eventually it's going to come out. Love covers all sins, though. You see these great contrasts in the scripture. And that's really the message of the cross. Love covers all sins. Jesus Christ, you know, they, you know God could have wiped out humanity. They, they've rebelled against me. They're sinners. Look what they're all doing down there. But the plan was to redeem humanity. And he sent his son into the world to live a life and to die a brutal death and bear the sins of the world upon him. So we know that love covers all sins. Love, in a sense, is the eternal eraser, and it was something that motivated Jesus to go to the cross. Okay, fast forward to James. James chapter 5. The last time we covered James chapter 4, and we really discussed how we should give sovereignty, God's sovereignty over our lives. Yes, we have free will. But we need to acquiesce to his sovereignty and let him be a part of our lives and really not even make plans without checking with him in prayer. And today we're going to finish up chapter 5. So where we left off, James 5, starting with verse 7, James says, Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it, until it receives the early and the latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Therefore, be patient. In context, last week, even going through the book of James, because we're at the end here. This is the last sermon where we're going to cover James. Um, we saw oppression, be patient when you're oppressed, be patient in suffering, and really even be patient in dealing with each other, because we're all sinners. And we all get on each other's nerves at times. And it's something to, it's true, to keep in mind. James is saying, look at the big picture. Anything in life that's good takes time to bear fruit. And he spoke about the example of the farmer. Farmers have to really be patient. Do you know anybody who's a farmer? You ever do farming for any amount of time? They wait patiently. And, and in context, James is, is speaking about the former and the latter rain. And each rainfall had to do something to the crop. Okay, each, each rainfall had a purpose. Uh, so the, the farmer had to be patient even with the weather. And if it didn't rain and there was a drought, boy, he really had to be patient, didn't he or she? I look at, um, on a side note, my wife and I uh, planted a vegetable garden this year. You know, you, you think, yeah, you put some seeds in the ground and, and that's all you got to do. Not quite. <laughs> and we learned that the hard way. But you put the stuff in the ground, you get the right type of soil, the right type of fertilizer. Uh, we ha I had to build a fence around this thing to keep the critters out. Uh, so there's just a lot that goes to it. Even my wife had to research planting certain plants in the garden that would keep away certain type of pests. So it really became this big ordeal. But we planted the garden, we look, and you know, every day I'm out there looking for something to happen, and there's nothing happening, right? Days go by, weeks go by, it rains. What the heck's going on here? But all of a sudden, there's just a certain point where God puts this, 
this genetic uh, timetable into the, the vegetation and boom, they start to sprout up and all of a sudden you see the harvest, you see the crop, you see fruit being born. And what we learned was we thought we had everything spread out well enough, but when those things take root and, and get going, everything's on top of each other now. So we've got to go back to the drawing board for next year and spread things out a little bit more. But apply that to suffering, being patient. And it is tough when you're suffering to be patient, isn't it? Well, the first thing that could happen, James says, is the coming of our Lord. We know that Jesus is our blessed hope. He's the ultimate in fruit. When he comes, he's going to fix all the world's problems. We're going to be completely redeemed. We're not going to sin anymore. It's going to be great. But even if the Lord tarries, even if he waits some time, and it doesn't happen in our lifetime, where especially their lifetime that James was speaking about, suffering produces a maturity spiritually. Now, certainly we would rather see the Lord come back than go through suffering. But if you do go through that time period and you do go through that suffering, it builds a spiritual maturity in us. Now, let's look at relationships. Be patient and honest with each other while we're here. Friendships, you know, marriages, things to that nature, other brothers and sisters in Christ. Instead of running and quitting, let's put the time, let's be patient with each other. That's important. And if the Lord comes in between that time, we'll all be without sin. He'll, re, he'll bring us up. He'll be, we'll be raptured. We'll be uh, taken up to be with the Lord. And we won't get on each other's nerves anymore because there won't be a sin element anymore. And I believe that. General application, patience with anything in life. A marriage. I, you know, I don't understand. You know, a few months, a year, people are getting divorced. What's a year? You know, put some time into that relationship. Just keep praying. Just keep trying to work it out. Just, you know, do the right thing. But don't just give up. A few months, that's nothing. All right? That's not much to be patient about. Friendships. I think that if we're honest with ourselves, we may have some friends today that we might not have liked the first time we met. But only till we put the time in with those people or even your spouse. <laughs> you might not have liked your spouse, and then you got to know the person, and then you ended up getting married, right? So, you know, maybe not love at first sight there. The vegetable garden missions, right? We look at uh, David and Annie here with us today. That's huge. Look at those maps. Billion, billions of people. That's a big number. You know, uh, thousands of acres of land and square mileage and, and, and hostile governments. Oh, boy, that looks insurmountable. But just like with anything else, the missions field, you put time. I talk to our missionaries in, in Afghanistan, in Africa. Africa is a huge continent. But we're, we're starting to make inroads, loving those people, sharing the gospel. Be patient. And it applies to anything in life, even at church. When I took over as the senior pastor, I had uh, you know, older pastor friends of mine saying, Joe, it's going to take five years. That's the magic number before a church is truly established. I'm like, five years? Why? Because it's, it, it takes time. You have to be patient. You have to put the time in with the word. You have to get to know people. And over time, you establish the good, solid, firm church. So apply that to anything. Now let's go back to the farmer. There's no such thing as a lazy farmer or a farmer who's a quitter because that farmer is going to starve. And what the Bible tells us is to focus on the, on the fruit, but work in the meantime. Don't just sit around and wait for God to do stuff for us. It takes a long time to produce fruit. There's perseverance. There's periods of drought. What do we do during the periods of drought? That's when it really tests our mettle. Okay? It's not for the faint-hearted. Now, let's get personal. 
because it wouldn't be worth it for me to come up here and talk about this if there's not a personal application. Some of you today need to hear this. Some of you today on a personal level need God's word today to encourage you. God's word is here to tell you, trust him, have patience, no matter what it is you're going through, situation that's going on in your life right now. Put your former hat on and your cob pipe and your overalls and get busy and trust him. Patience is listed as a fruit of the spirit. And I, I must admit, even in my own life, I would say that most Christians, most people have a hard time mastering or getting patience under control, especially in our society. You, listen, I need to order something. It used to be I would call up the company and order something or send them a check and they'd send. Now all I got to do is go on the computer, click a few things. Within 30 seconds, I can have whatever I want come into my house overnighted, right? This, what do we have to have patience for? But patience is still a fruit of the Spirit. God didn't change his, his rules and His laws and His truths because our society has changed. It's still timeless, okay? Verse 9. He says, Do not grumble against each other, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the, at the door. This issue of how we treat each other keeps coming up in James. God is pretty serious about us loving each other. We've talked about, or we've talked about patience, but here we're speaking about impatience. And impatience leads to grumbling against one another instead of having patience. Impatience leads to gossip. Impatience leads to division. That's the result of not having patience. And it's interesting because we speak about the sins of commission, the things that we do, don't do this, don't do that. But this is a sin of omission, not having something that we should have. God is patient with us. And I spoke about that earlier, the gospel message. The children of Israel, read the Old Testament. Boy, they were always, you know, God opened up the Red Sea. He gave them miracles, all these things. And the children of Israel, given enough time, they started murmuring and grumbling against God. He could have said, you know what? I'm just going to wipe them out and start all over again. But he didn't do it. He could have done that with us, but he didn't do it. He sent his son into the world to die for our sins. God has patience with us. Furthermore, he is the only judge and standing at the door. Two things about this. Number one, he could come at any moment. And two, he's ready to avenge all wrongs. Verse 10. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You've heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. Now, James initially uses the farmer. He's moved on to different pictures. He's speaking now of the prophets and Job. Job, Job. Gee, don't people talk about the, the Bible now as a fairy tale? You know, Genesis, Adam. They weren't real. Adam, Eve, Job. The book of Job is believed to be at least as old or older than the book of Genesis when Genesis was written. Job was a real person. And it's interesting because the New Testament apostles, uh, Jesus, whoever was in the New Testament authors would speak about these Old Testament figures as if they're real. Again, our society has changed. So the whole thing about, oh, two people in the beginning eating a bite of the apple. Well, you know, we have science now. We know that that can't be true. According to the scripture, it is true. Notice other words added to the mix besides patience. Suffering, endurance, and perseverance. The prosperity gospel will teach you that 
If you have enough faith, you'll never be sick and you'll always be wealthy. According to the Bible, the opposite is true. Because, you know, 2 Timothy 3 says that some people who desire to live godly in Christ will suffer persecution. Anybody want to correct me? It says all who desire to live godly in Christ will suffer persecution. That's the scripture, okay? Look at the prophets. James uses that as an example. The prophets, or we love the prophets. Oh, Jeremiah. I love Jeremiah. Lamentations. I love the prophet Isaiah. I love Hosea. These guys were often attacked by the same people they were trying to save. What a thankless job that was. <laughs> Talk about a hostile crowd. Jeremiah lovingly told the Israelites, you know, the Babylonians are coming and they're going to break through the wall and they're going to capture us. If you just let them in and don't resist them, it'll go well with us. Boy, they beat them up. They threw them in a well, stuck them in there for three days. We forget about those parts with the prophets. All right? They had to do some really thankless jobs. They were often attacked by those they were trying to save. And Satan often used believers to oppose them. Satan will use anybody. There's no rules. He's like a terrorist. Anything at his disposal, he'll use against you. But thankfully, we have the Lord, and he doesn't allow him to go past a certain point. Job was directly attacked not only by Satan himself, but by his own friends, chapter 42. And he started explaining himself and maybe even starting to believe their rhetoric. And God had to correct them. It's never fun when Satan will use your own friends and your own family against you. But the lesson, regardless of what we're going through, the Lord is merciful and he's compassionate. And we need to trust him because it's going to turn out okay in the end. There's not going to be any outcome where the Lord's going to go, oh man, that one slipped by me. I can't believe it happened again. It doesn't work like that. God knows. God is sovereign. Do you believe that about your life? Let's get personal again. Often in the midst of circumstances, when you're in the midst of the storm, it's hard to accept, isn't it? Bill, do you believe that about your life? Really believe that. Autumn, do you believe that about your life, in your heart, that God knows your situations? Tanya, personally and intimately, your life. Yeah, but I'm one of, what was that number? 6.6 .6 billion people on the earth. How could God pay attention to me? God loves you. He knows you individually. He knew how he was going to form you even before you were in your mother's womb. He can have a personal relationship with you. That's what the gospel is all about. Let, don't let those numbers freak you out. It doesn't matter how big the numbers are. It's not like we're going to get so big on the planet Earth that God's going to say, they're all praying at once. I'm just confused. You know, there's just too much. I can't multitask. He can multitask, okay? So whatever you're going through, God's there for you, and he's compassionate, and he's merciful. In our society, trials are often looked at as failure because we all have to put on a facade. We all have to be beautiful. We all have to be fit. We all have to be wealthy. Otherwise, we're not accepted by society. But that's not what the Bible says. I don't care what our society says. So... What we have here is me losing my place again. Um, okay. <laughs> Let God's word encourage you. The Lord is compassionate and merciful. A few other things here. Jesus is there with us. Jesus, the Bible said, as our high priest understands 
Not only was Jesus the high priest because he offered the sacrifice, but he was the sacrifice. He filled both roles. He was the Lamb of God that was shed to take away the sins of the world. His blood was shed. The Bible says that he suffered and he understands and he went to the cross and he was crucified and he had all the sins of the world laid upon him on that cross. Can any of us identify with that? So I haven't been crucified and I'm certainly not looking forward to it. And I'm certainly, I got a problem with my own sins. I don't need to have everybody else's sins laid upon me. I'm glad that's not going to happen to me. So Jesus knows. Jesus has been there. Jesus has walked the walk. Jesus even said in the garden, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But it wasn't possible. So you know what? He drank the cup. He dealt with it because of it, the love that he has for us. Just two more quick elements before we move on. God loves those the ones that he loves, he chastens, the Bible tells us. So in some instances, and not all the time, we tend to think that when we go through sufferings that uh, I did something wrong. Well, it is good to search our hearts, but that's not always the case. However, there are times that we are disciplined for doing wrong as believers because he loves us. And suffering is a character builder. Now, in my life, I've had various sufferings, and I didn't like it at the time, and I was hoping it would stop. But now that I've gone through it, I know that I have more compassion for others when someone comes up to me and tells me what they're going through. If I didn't suffer, if I didn't go through any of these dark times, I, I couldn't empathize, but I can now. So it's a good thing. Verse 12. But above all, my brethren, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, lest you fall into judgment. Jesus, if you, if you look at this, Jesus said this. Okay, you read the Gospels, Jesus said not to swear and let your yes be yes and your no be no. And James reiterates this. But in context, because we have to look at context of this letter, it is possible that under temptation, these scattered believers were tempted to compromise. They were tempted to swear. They were tempted to you know, say whatever they had to say to get the other person to believe them. So he's telling them not to do that. And it's a, it was a cultural thing. There was a, a whole group of, of items that you could swear by, and you had good oaths and bad oaths, and Jesus said, forget about it. You guys, it's just like a legal loophole at this point. Just if you say something, mean it. Let your credibility show through. Think about this. If we have nothing left in this world, aside from God, what, all we have is our credibility and our word. And if you have a bad reputation for not keeping your word, it's going to get around. Bad news always travels faster, it seems, than good news. But understand this. Even on the street, right? You ever hear the expression, if you've been in urban areas, word is bond. You know what word is bond means? It means that I don't really have much in the sense of putting up a wager. I don't really, you know, in material items. But all I have is my word. Word is bond. My word is my bond. And that's what they do. And, and that's how uh, someone knows if they're going to keep their word or not. Right? And I'll just give you another example. Uh, when I started, when I came out of the police academy, I had different field training officers. And one of the gentlemen spoke to me and he said, one of the officers said, now when you testify in court, if you don't know the answer to the question that the attorney's asking you, don't make something up. Don't lie. Just say you don't know or you don't recall. He said, because if you lose credibility with the municipal judge, you'll never get it back and you'll never win a case. And that stuck with me all these years, and it's good. it was good advice. And there's been times where I don't know the answer, but I don't try to fish for it and make it up. 
We need to be people of our word. That's what James is saying. Verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of the faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. So James gives us an appropriate response to three situations that we may encounter in our lives, or we probably definitely will encounter. Number one, are you suffering? A hardship, an affliction, some type of trouble. Could be a spiritual indication, or just could be a life circumstance. The response is pray, seek the Lord, maybe for deliverance. And the Lord may not deliver us out of the situation, but he may be with us in delivering us through the situation. Okay? It may be wisdom, but seek the Lord. We can talk to our friends, we can do a lot of things, we can do research, but we definitely need to go to the Lord because he has all the answers. Two, are you cheerful or are you merry? Are things going well? Are you encountering a lot of blessings in your life? The response, sing psalms. What's a psalm? A psalm is basically, and you look at it in the book of Psalms, David would, would have these devotions, these heartfelt devotions to God, and he would set them to music. That's what a psalm is. Or in my case, since I'm not very good at singing, I would just worship God. But be thankful. Be thankful to God, worship him, and praise him for his goodness. Three, are you sick? A little different than the first one. The Greek word for sick is astheneo, where in the English we get the word asthenia, or bodily sickness. Sometimes that sickness is a result of sin, and sometimes it isn't. And you can see both circumstances in the scripture. In one circumstance, uh, the, the, the apostle, uh, apostles asked Jesus about a blind man that Jesus was going to heal. They said, so who sinned, this man or his parents? And Jesus said, neither. But so that the glory of God could be revealed through this man. And then in another situation, Jesus healed someone, and he said to them, and go and sin no more, or a worse thing may happen to you. So you have this issue, bodily sickness. Uh, but either way, we pray. We pray for our bodies to be healed, and we also pray that our sins would be forgiven because he adds that element there. Right? When Jesus was going to heal the paralytic, he said, uh, your sins are forgiven. And the religious leaders were like, your sins are forgiven? How can you have the power to do that? And Jesus said, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or rise up and walk? Jesus had the power not only to forgive sins, but to heal the body. He had the power of both the body and the spirit. Okay? And the response is, if you're sick, have the pastors, the elders of the church, leaders, to anoint the person with oil in the name of the Lord. And we do that here. Oil is an emblem of the Holy Spirit. And uh, it's not that the oil is magic. It's not that the pastors are magic. It's that we're just going before the Lord and asking his, his mercy in helping this person. And that's what's done. But what's the common thread? What's the common denominator to all these three? It's seeking the Lord. It's a relationship with the Lord. It reminds me of a marriage vow. In marriages, we have good times and in bad. When I marry people, I say that. We stay married in sickness and in health, for better or for worse. Should we get divorced because times are hard? No. In all marriages, there's going to be hard times. But what about with our relationship with God? When things are great, maybe we have a tendency to say, oh, God is so good. But what about when the doctor says, you're very sick, you need to be operated on? Do we still praise God? He's still good. He didn't stop being good because something happened to us, you see? But sometimes we 
it's a behavior thing, it's a psychological thing. You see, if things are going well, some folks tend to ignore God because things are going well, we don't need Him. And sometimes we only praise Him when things are going well, that's wrong. If things are going bad, sometimes we're angry with God because things are going bad. Or things are going bad, we only seek Him because things are going bad and we ignore Him in the good times. All of those are wrong. Our relationship with God is just that, it's a relationship. Be it a marriage, be it a friendship, whatever relationship, your kids, your kids, they're going to get older, they're going to become teens, they're going to rebel against you. <laughs> that was good. A little loud, but no, it's good. You know, we don't stop loving our kids because they rebel against us, right? That's what relationship is all about. We have to see that with the Lord. It's not that he's punishing us. It's not that uh, he's making our lives miserable. In good times and in bad, we still cultivate that relationship with him. Verse 16, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Now, if we take this, it really should go with the last block. God does the forgiving of the sins, but we help each other with our struggles. And that's where that word accountability comes from. If we have close ties with other believers and we're doing something wrong, hopefully a friend will take us aside and say, hey, you know, what you're doing is wrong. Love us enough to tell that and that we would do the same. So we help each other. We confess our, our trespasses where we've overstepped something or done something that's out of God's will and that a friend would come and, and help us out with that and help us to see our own sin, kind of be a mirror. But the one who actually forgives the sins is God himself. Let's make that clear. 1 John 1.9 says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Who's he? Pastor Joe? A priest? A rabbi? No. He is God. He's the only one that can forgive us for our sins. Okay? The prophet Elijah was used as an example of effective prayer. And another wording, maybe a more contemporary Bible, could say Elijah was a human being with flesh and blood just like you and me. If he could affect the weather, we could also. Now, speaking of the weather, we're in June, it's 2009, and it's going to rain for the rest of the month. So I don't know what you guys are doing or what you're praying for, but you must not be praying about the weather. <laughs> I mean, it took one guy, Elijah, to stop the, you know, the rain, and then he started it again. So what are you guys doing here? All right? I'm, I'm a little concerned about that. But we tend to think men and women of, of God in the Bible were of a higher car caliber. And that's not necessarily true. As a matter of fact, sometimes it's the opposite. You know, Moses was a murderer. Gideon was a coward. Samson was a, a lustful man. And God used these average or even sometimes below average folks to show himself great. Not necessarily them, but himself. You see, amen. We can be a dull scalpel or a rusty forcep, forceps. God could have all these broken tools to work with, but he can still successfully do the operation. Sometimes I'm a dull scalpel, but he can still make the cut. Sometimes you're a rusty forceps, but he can still cl clip that artery so that he can continue doing his surgery. And that's what's cool about God. He is such an awesome surgeon. He's the great physician that even with substandard tools like ourselves, he can still do the job and get it done. And that goes to show that we're not great, but he's great. 
Elijah worked great miracles, not because he was great, but because God is great. You need to understand that. Verse 19, last two verses. Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Restoring the fallen. Now, I've been praying about it, and I, I really want to get into 1 Corinthians. We'll be doing that next Sunday, start that. But, and, and there's some really interesting dynamics about the church and you know, new churches that were starting up and, and how Paul had to correct them and make things work out. And there's a lot of good subjects in there. But understand, true repentance must be employed by the offender. It shows love to turn someone away from the error of their ways, from the damning path, from the wide road that Jesus said everybody follows, and very few make it on the narrow road. It doesn't mean to hang out with the sinner, do what they're doing, look the other way while they're doing it. It means to turn them. It doesn't mean for you to turn in the direction they're going, because now you have two fallen uh, folks. It means that you help to turn them back to God. You understand? That's important. Confront their sin and show the path to repentance and restoration. The Greek word here for turn is epistrepho, which means to turn, turn towards, and it's closely associated with repentance. No restoration without a change of heart. Save a soul from death. Now that's a frightening statement. Would we agree that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever? He doesn't change. Why do we change? Because we get new and better information. God knows it all. No reason for him to change. So God, Christ, the Holy Spirit, they're always the same, right? Because they have all the answers. We don't. Save a soul from death should really do something inside of us. Because in the church of Corinth, do you realize that believers, those in the church were dying? They died because they profaned the Lord's Supper. It was a pretty serious judgment. Ananias and Sapphira, uh, when Peter was speaking to them about, um, about their giving, they lied. And because they lied to the Holy Spirit, they died. Does God look at things any different today? In the Old Testament, right, when they rebelled against Moses, the ground opened up and swallowed some people up. Right? There's a lot of grace shown in our time period, but it doesn't mean that we should treat our salvation or uh, behave as believers like everybody else does because God is still serious about that stuff. So if you turn someone from the error of their ways, you save a soul from death, right? If they're carrying the name of Jesus and they are just constantly living a, a life more damnable than an unbeliever, I wouldn't want to be near that person because judgment may come to them. What have we learned from the book of James now that we close? James was to be taken as a letter. All these five chapters, it took us, what, a month, two months to, to go through this maybe? It was sent out as a letter for it to be read in its entirety. If you didn't get all the James studies, I encourage you to get them free from the website. What has God shown you about your life through the book of James? We have bulletins, and it was a section that I wanted to put in uh, on one of the pages. And it says, how can I apply God's word to my life this week? And that's important. Because without the application phase of any book, we're just coming here on Sunday feeling good about ourselves and just kind of doing what we want the rest of the six days. It's about a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. I want to read a few questions that Warren Wearsby kind of sums up, and I like his, his pithy um, statements regarding the scripture. 
And these are just some questions that he asks that we should ask about ourselves based on looking at the whole book of, of James from start to finish. Twelve questions. One, am I becoming more and more patient in the testings of life? Two, do I play with temptation or resist it from the start? Three, do I find joy in obeying the word of God or do I merely study it and learn it? Four, are there any prejudices or biases in my life that shackle me? Five, am I able to control my tongue? Six, am I a peacemaker rather than a troublemaker? Do people come to me for spiritual wisdom? Seven, am I a friend of God or am I a friend of the world? Eight, do I make plans without considering the will of God? Nine, am I selfish when it comes to my money? Am I unfaithful in the paying of my bills or when I owe somebody money? Ten, do I naturally depend on prayer when I find myself in some kind of trouble? Eleven, am I the kind of person others seek for prayer support? And twelve, what is my attitude toward the wandering brother? Do I criticize and gossip and point the finger? Or do I seek to restore him in love? He says, don't just grow old, grow up. So my prayer today is that we would look back retrospectively on the book of James and just see how it can affect our lives. Delving into God's word, we're missing 99% of it if we don't apply it to our lives. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this book. Thank you for the conviction. And it's just so awesome.